Hello, and welcome to Outside World Occultism. I'm Katya, and today's episode is a list of all the Toho girls we wish could be our moms, and a copy of that list in case you accidentally throw it in the garbage. With me today are Lavander. Hi. JT. Hello. F. Hi there. And me. Hello. Is this because I complain about being last? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. This just after we were talking about the Oscars making their selections entirely in response to their criticism. Yes. We turn around and we alter the order of our host introduction for entirely because of criticism. Welcome to Outside World Occultism, the world's most foremost dog and pony show. (laughs) We are actually as self-aware and thus legitimate as an institution as the Oscars. Actually, the dog and pony show is Wily Beast and Weakest Creature. <laughs> I'd give us more credit than the Oscars. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I definitely would. So, this episode is going to be about all the different moms in Toho. And I think we first have to sort of establish... What is a mom? <laughs> a miserable little aisle <laughs> of care and love. <laughs> well, sometimes... <laughs> ideally Um, admittedly dracula may not be the best source on that topic (laughs) that just means a mom is a miserable little pile of ashes oh no (laughs) (laughs) Um, this has been our castlevania podcast (laughs) (laughs) this has been our dead moms podcast Yeah, everyone on the podcast has our hair down in a long braid, and we're wearing it over one shoulder right now. Yeah, I grew it out just for this. (laughs) Okay, so who are the moms in Toho? There's, like, people who have been mothers, you know, people who have children. And then there's, you know, characters that sort of serve a motherly role or like a guardianship role for another character and are, you know, widely considered to be those characters' moms. Ah, yes. uh, Interpretations of which I will fight on the streets about. I think there's also a few characters who just have a energy that gets them filed in the mom cabinet, even if there's not necessarily a directly corresponding child. If there is not a directly corresponding child, the Toho fandom will assign you one. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yes. (laughs) I feel like out of these, the third category, the people with de facto children are probably the, in a sense, the most mom-like. A lot of the people who are technically moms don't really have the energy, actually. (laughs) In Toho or otherwise, I guess. Are we going to talk about bad parenting? Oh, definitely. (laughs) <laughs> well, I mean, it's going to come up, but... Speaking of bad parenting, I think a primary example, although probably not like something you can actually criticize, is Sega. <laughs> I mean, yeah. yeah. That's like the least of Sega's crimes. <laughs> she had to start out small, though. Yeah, she did that, but I get it. The thing I don't get is reanimating the poet Miyako no Yoshika just because you think that corpses are cool. It's just a prank. (laughs) It's just a prank, bro. Yeah. I feel like by the standards of, like, the time period where Sega's original folktale is set, like, she's not even that bad. 
Yeah, she's kind of bad, but she's just, she's okay. She lives in a feudalism. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she definitely kind of seems to run on the idea that since she's already, like, for some mysterious reason, a great sinner just for trying to be immortal, then might as well own it. Her mom-relevant actions would have been before becoming a hermit. Yeah, the mom stuff is its own thing. She abandoned her horrible family, presumably horrible family. I mean, she was... I mean, definitely a horrible husband, probably. Yeah, mm. I don't think she was suited to being, like, you know... Mom. <laughs> Has the lowest level of mom energy of all the technical moms in Toho. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if we're starting at the bottom and working our way up, yeah. but we're definitely starting at the bottom. She has a bit more, like, <laughs> vodka ant energy in practice, right? Like, she, you may or may not have cousins on that side of the family, but you mostly interact with them in the terms of who is drunk at Thanksgiving. I mean, like half the Taoists are technical moms. Sega didn't really abandon her family so much as she got extremely divorced. <laughs> is the only Taoist who isn't a technical mom Tojiko? Uh, no, I mean, because Tojiko, if we assume she's Tojiko no Yaratsume, would have been... Then she has like four children with Miko. I didn't know if she had a child with... Yeah, she and Miko had several kids, including like Miko's like main heir. Yeah, they had like four children. Every Taoist is a mom. You heard it here first. <laughs> Do we want to rank the Taoists and how bad of moms they are? Because if we are going to do that, I vote that Fudo comes next after Sega. <laughs> it is kind of a double standard if we assume that Tajiko is her historical counterpart, but Fudo isn't. But I mostly do, since like Fudo doesn't fit really as a character with her supposed historical counterpart. I think she's more like a random Mononobe than specifically Dojiko's mom and Miko's mother-in-law. I think... I don't think that we can really condemn any of the Taoists as bad mothers because I think yeah. that maybe, like, you know, what if the kids just kind of had bad vibes? <laughs> <laughs> Miko was definitely murdered by the time... or. I think just dead by the time her kids were murdered by, like, Tojiko's brother or something. Um, Family drama! So, like, there definitely wasn't a huge amount of moral culpability. I do like that idea, though, that they abandoned their kids, but it might have been fine because the kids might have been bad. <laughs> might have had bad vibes. Yeah, these kids are harshing my vibe. I, I didn't... The kids are bad, but like, what if the kids just, you know, kind of had a negative energy? What if they were just kind of a bummer to be around? Mm. You're <laughs> referencing that post, aren't you? <laughs> but yeah, I basically consider every Taoist except Fudo a technical mom. I think Fudo's probably a technical mom if she's even a random Mononobe. Well, that's possible. And none of them are like spiritual moms. She may not be Tojiko's mom, even though she definitely has good for her vibes. I think it's fine to just lump in all of the like technical moms into one category because the moms in Toho aren't really about actually just like direct heredity. Yeah, actually having had like children to some nobleman or whatever. Yeah. Kanako acts more mom-like to Sanai than Suwako, honestly, even though Suwako's her actual ancestor. Though they're both very mom-like. I think Suwako might be one of the only 
like current moms or like great 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 so what was one of the few cases of actual overlap between Mm. the like technical and spiritual mom categories because sunny is directly descended from her but also she's just kind of her mom Mm -hmm. sunny has two moms they just happen to be powerful gods yeah they just happen to be the gods she's devoted to So, do we want to go into the Morias then? If we're losing train of thought? We've sort of covered the technical side as far as I'm aware. I guess... There's Junko, but that's... Junko's a later conversation. (laughs) I feel like the Morias are just the easier topic to segue into right now. Yeah. (laughs) With the roughest and bumpiest segue ever outside of someone riding... (laughs) Riding one through a landing in a windy day in Utah... Like, <laughs> wow, that's really harsh. Hey, it was my segue. I'm allowed to say that. <laughs> what I wanted to talk about with regards to the Morias is like, we don't actually get to see too much of the Moria family life, do we? Do we ever see them interacting with each other at all? We see them in Sane's lunatic kingdom ending. Besides there, then, because I feel like that's the only spot where we saw them interacting. Um, Sane and Subako talk in Soku, too. There's some short scenes in Horned Hermit, I think. They're talking about the ropeway or something. Yeah, it's a business thing. There's no, like, non-directly plot-relevant interactions between them, which kind of sucks, because there's definitely good vibes there, but... I get the feeling that the Moria family dynamic is kind of like, you know, when you have parents who like have like really big expectations of their children and want them to be someone with a salary. Yeah. (laughs) Um, (laughs) The high, high standards of outside world occultism hosts regarding careers. (laughs) They don't want their kids to grow up to be a podcaster. (laughs) <laughs> i feel like if podcasts had been popular around the time that before sanai had gone to Gensoko, she definitely would have become a podcaster though oh i feel like that just sumiriko telling her about what a podcast is like sanae is currently running like four podcasts <laughs> and like, burning them to cds and trying to hand them out at corinto <laughs> Where yeah. Renosuke rents out one CD player. Please listen to me talking about video games. Uh, welcome to Sane's video games podcast. Welcome to my Mario 64 speedrun podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure that Sumerico, for instance, did like a two-episode podcast before realizing that it wasn't getting any listeners, so she just went back to posting Dan Macro on Instagram. Yeah. And then we stole her outside world occultism brand. <laughs> <laughs> well, she let the registration lapse, so... We are actually the only people who have ever listened to Samirico's podcast. And we're not going to upload it to show you. <laughs> <laughs> I wish we could have her as a guest sometime, but... Do we? Time loops a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> no, we don't wish we could have her as a guest sometime. <laughs> um, Maybe no. you do, but that is not a group decision. Okay, this is getting a bit off track. (laughs) Yeah, this is becoming too much of a bit. 
I do think it would be fun for Zen to do a print work or something about characters doing podcasts. <laughs> That's totally like a thing that could happen, I think. I mean, next data book. <laughs> <laughs> we are do one. We keep saying that. We're do one, but we'll never actually get it. Aku is just going to become a hermit and stop writing and go live in the mountains with her yokai girlfriend instead. And also not die. Well, yeah, that's what hermits do. <laughs> <laughs> that's what Sun meant when he said that Aku wasn't dying. Yes. He's got a plan. Yes. <laughs> Besides Sazai-san Yes. Anyway, yeah. Moms. I feel like probably the dynamic at the Moria Shrine is like, it's very clear that Kanako and Suoko do care about Sane, but also they're like a bajillion years old and they've uh, had Sane in their lives for like 20 years, 23 years. Hmm. Remu minus one or two years. Yeah. So I do think that this is a relatively new thing for them, although I am sure probably given how long they have existed. They have had previous experiences with the motherhood at some point. I think that's, you know, safe to assume. Yeah. It might have been more detached than with Sanae, though. I think Sanae is exceptional in a couple cases because she's the one who's on a track to be a new god. Yeah. So they can have a less detached relationship to her than they would to a human daughter. It's gotta be weird when both moms and the child are gods, the like expectations are kind of different. Yeah, and I do think that especially Kanako has, you know, kind of very serious expectations of Sane, and Sane, I think, works really hard to fulfill those. Kanako wants her daughter to become a CEO. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> She's just always harassing her about, why can't you just be a doctor like this other god's family? <laughs> so I, I do think that like Kanako probably has a very serious relationship with Sane, but yeah. I do think that there is room there for like you know more standard affection and stuff yeah. like that because Sane is a very open, cheerful person. She's a very cheerful and a very serious person, which is that's actually a pretty common combination in Toho, but she's got a pretty unique amount of it. She's one of the ones where we have that combination, but also a very well-defined sort of ambition and sense of goals. Yeah, she's a prep. Yeah, like something like Marisa, for example, she's got less of a well-defined ambition besides become stronger. She doesn't have goals that require like long-term action as much. Besides just doing what she's already doing. She's not ambitious in the sense that Sane is. Yeah, Marisa is working class. Sane is upper middle class rich prep. God. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) In like a modern AU or something, Sane is the kid whose parents are high powered lawyers and she's been, you know, applying to all these different law schools and Remu and Marisa are her co-workers at the subway who are just like, why are you like this? (laughs) Marisa's studying for her tech degree in the back room. 
Yeah, and the problem is that she's like really cool as a person, but she can be kind of clueless about it at times, and everyone is just kind of awkward because they don't want to be mean. I do want to see more of that dynamic actually explored in Canon stuff because we do see Sanae a lot. We just don't see her home life all that often. We yeah. see Sanae a lot, but we see her more in relation to other people than on her own a lot, I feel. Yeah, we see her mostly as a foil to Rima. Most of the time. Yeah. Yeah. Or just the outside world perspective. Yeah. I mean, in a, in a sense, it's nice to just assume that when we don't see someone's home life, it's because their home life is cozy. Mm-hmm. And I think in the case of the Morias in particular, they're still sort of kept a degree of separation from the viewers because we're not necessarily meant to know the minutiae of what they're up to. It's the same reason we don't see, like, Yukari spending a funny afternoon teaching Chen about laser pointers. (laughs) (laughs) Because Zun is a coward. True, but also we can assume that there's relatively elements of normal life in terms of here is a lady and her pet cat. Mm-hmm. The only hint we get at that is that one victory animation in ASEAN. Yes. <laughs> and I feel like the only hints we get to the Moria family is basically Kanako being proud of her and stuff in the ending of LOLK. Mm. Yeah. Some of the so, symposium dialogue, too. You can definitely see that, yes, what you thought was correct, but you will not see any more of it. Yeah. Yeah. The only people whose day-to-day lives we really see are Reimu and Marisa. And really mostly Reimu, too. I mean, we see a bit of, like, Kasuzu's life. Yet we haven't, like, seen her family or anything. Yeah, all we see is her selling books, whereas we see Reimu's ups and downs and in-betweens. We see a glimpse of Kasuzu's, like, father or grandfather or something. Yeah, like Um, a generic villager. So before we finish talking about the Morias, I do want to say that I think it's interesting that Sane is supposedly like distant descendant of Suako. She's not a direct descendant, quote-unquote, which means that there has been like, you know, a bloodline of Morias. And mm-hmm. what I'm wondering about is like sort of what were those people's relationships with Suako and why don't we ever get to see any of that? And why weren't they gods? It could be that they had the same sort of, how would you put it, like down his lot as every other like shrine maiden and magician and whatever bloodline in the outside world. And then Sanai was just like a freak accident somewhere down the line. Sanai was just like a special version besides the just, oh, you know, they're slightly weird shrine maidens. I'm surprised that there's a lineage of shrine maidens in the outside world, considering the way that shrine maidens work nowadays. Sane is a reference to, like, an actual person at the Sua shrine. So, like, there are, like, hereditary religious things in shrines these days, too. Especially for those, like, old, really respected shrines. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Maybe all of Sane's ancestors were also like her, but they were... Like for the past couple centuries, they were put down by the idea around them that the god didn't actually exist and all that. But Sanae was just too much of an idiot to believe them. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's mean. But she was right. What alternatives would they have, right? You play by the rules of society and leave Kanako and Suiko, you know, filling half a mahjong table or what? Like, 
I think the implication in Mountain of Faith was that finding out about Gensokyo and moving there, that was like their last ditch attempt and Sane decided to come along for the ride because she had yeah. the chance. Yeah. We really don't know much about Sanae's background. I wonder why Sanae would choose to follow the gods to Gensokyo rather than stay with like her entire family, presumably. I think it's possible that maybe, you know, they were part of the problem in like terms of not believing in the gods anymore or something like that, while Sanae can very clearly see <laughs> Kanako and Suako and communicate with them and perform miracles and so on. And she just decided... And Japan has a lot of tall poppy syndrome sort of issues. So Sanae being very exceptional, Mm -hmm. she might have sort of resented being stuck in a society and gone with Kanako and Suako who are... Not in a society. A little desperate, but also seeing they present an alternative, even if it's a, a long shot at the start. Yeah, and I think the like main reason why we don't really get to see Sane's parents or whatever is just that, just to be able to provide the sort of, it has two moms dynamic with Kaneko and Suwako. <laughs> we don't really need to know anything about like Sane's quote-unquote actual parents because she has parents and she loves them very much and they clearly love her too. If she's chosen to stay with these parents because she could leave Gensokyo if she wanted, people can and leave Gensokyo, especially people who are still human like she is. Yeah. Yeah. So she's obviously chosen Kanako and Suwako as her real parents. Exactly. I think we would all love to see more of them in official Toho works. Speaking of uh, teen daughters, although I guess Sunny is more of an adult at this point. She's a spiritual teen. (laughs) (laughs) Should we talk about Byakuren and her 100 adopted daughters? (laughs) Byakuren and her adopted daughters and her somehow adopted grandmother. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, sure. How did she adopt a grandmother when she is a grandmother herself? That's not the point. (laughs) Mamiza. Mamiza. I'm going to bring out a controversial take and say that Byakuren doesn't actually have huge amounts of mom energy. To me, she is much more of a, like, not even like a school teacher, but like a slightly judgy aunt. <laughs> I feel like she's a school teacher that used to be a mom, but is now an empty nester. That energy. I feel like mom Byakuren is kind of a... Obviously, it's like a cute fan and take. Canon's probably not like strongly against it, in my opinion. Any stronger than it is any other like spiritual mom anyway. But I think it evokes some strong emotions on both sides. Like, I personally am on the mom Byakuren side just because, like, her interactions with the crew in Forbidden Scrollery and stuff sort of have that sort of energy of just like a bunch of horrible teens supporting their mother. <laughs> She has both mom vibes and school teacher vibes, and I feel like is the entirety of Symposium of Post Mysticism about her deciding if she wants to be a mom or a school teacher to the temple students, because I feel like that's what it is. <laughs> Perhaps. Maybe. I think that's definitely what conclusion she comes to is entirely up to the reader. Yeah. I mean she's definitely a strict mom if she is. <laughs> She isn't like a overly like cozy. Well, obviously she has some of the cozy energy and all that, but she is still at least trying to teach them about Buddhism and stuff. 
If Kaneko is like the law school mom, I think Byakuren is like a theater mom. <laughs> yeah, yeah, she is. We literally see her put on like a theater production. I don't want to think about the Muren Temple being full of theater kids. <laughs> I mean, I think it fits. It does, but I don't want to think about the fact. I've done some small amounts of theater, and let me tell you, I can <laughs> map the archetypes onto different members of the Myoran Temple pretty easily. Like, if Sane and Remu and Marisa are the university students with vastly different career tracks all working at the same subway, then the Myoran Temple crew are a community theater troupe. <laughs> <laughs> They yeah. definitely are, but it just gives me so much of a feeling to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that necessarily that every single person in the Muran Temple is Byakaran's adopted daughter, but I do think that a big handful of them are. Yeah, I feel like there's definitely the ones that we know are way more likely to be Byakaran's adopted daughters than like every yokai that visits the temple. Like, I wouldn't consider like Sho or Nazarin Byakaran's daughters. Yeah. They're like the main exceptions, but I don't know what they would be in this metaphor. <laughs> I wouldn't consider the Nui one of the Akron stars. Yeah. Nui is the rat that lives in the trash can. Nazrin is respectable. She doesn't live in the trash can. <laughs> I feel like Nui is actually like that possum that one of the kids brings home. Like it gets into the bedroom or something and then you can't get rid of it. Sometimes she's in the yard, sometimes she's in the garage. Sometimes she's in the cabinet and she's just there staring at you with her possum eyes. She lives with the family, but she never really seems to feel like she is quite a part of the family. Well, that's because she's a possum, isn't it? Yeah. If we don't see a lot of Moria Shrine home life, then we definitely don't see a lot of like Muran home life. Yeah, but I think we have enough of a picture to kind of see that they're very active in terms of God, like theater projects. <laughs> um, I do think they're always working on stuff like that. Is the Muran Temple like a boarding school where the teacher just has to kind of mom for the students? <laughs> I feel like that's the sort of place that it is except it's not a normal boarding school it's somehow it's all about the arts i think that's definitely background's relationship with some of the characters like joan for instance no no she's joan's fussy mother-in-law didn't you see the ending image <laughs> <laughs> i don't know i feel like she's half that and half parole officer <laughs> <laughs> i would Byakuren plays so many roles, which adds to the idea of Myoran as a theater troupe. God. <laughs> of the Myoran Temple crew, I would consider Ichiren, Kyoko, and Minamitsu to be like Byakuren's adopted daughters. I feel like Sho has a little bit of daughter energy, too. Sho is hard to place because their relationship is very... It's like, weird. how do you do yeah. that? It's like balanced, but in the sense that if you like put a plate on your finger and then drop a bunch of different dumbbells on different sides of it, that can eventually <laughs> balance, right? Like, yeah. it's very strange. It's, and we don't see them interact much. We don't see show very much at all. Mm -hmm. Show's just busy being a statue. Don't worry about it. I think there's a lot of different pieces that make it hard to assemble exactly what their dynamic is. Yeah, I think it's definitely possible to interpret show as like Byakuren's like large adult daughter, whereas the others are like kind of rowdy teens. Yeah, if she had to fit in the fit into the adopted child 
framework, she'd definitely be like the older person who just kind of lives in the same house as this mom and her adopted children and for some reason isn't technically one of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But kind of feels like it. Yeah, she's like 30 and hasn't moved out yet. She pays rent. <laughs> she pays rent. She can afford it. <laughs> Shows everyone's roommate at once. She's the daughter who's just kind of the roommate. The, the Muran Temple is definitely hard to pin down in terms of mom energy, I guess. I think one big thing that adds to the mom energy is that like a lot of the like master subordinate relationships are usually based on like either personal loyalty or one side just fooling around and not actually being that loyal at all. But in their sense, it's not like personal loyalty in the like Yomu sense. They don't really seem to care much about the temple and they're only there for Byakuren, basically. It really adds to the family vibe. It's devotion to a person rather than loyalty, I guess. They really are sort of ride or die for Byakuren. Mm-hmm. I mean, UFO is literally just about them breaking their mom out of hell. <laughs> As one does. <laughs> <laughs> Not actually hell for anyone who wants to yell at me and be pedantic, but you, you know what I mean. It is notable that on most cell phones, the uh, numerical dial code for mom is 666. <laughs> <laughs> we can I talk guess. about the moms in not actually how later. <laughs> I mean, isn't that a good segue? Oh, I guess. If you want to. Wow, this is really just the belated segues episode, isn't it? I'm going to become an orb. (laughs) We could also segue to hell moms. There are a couple paths we could take here. We could segue into the hell moms, the not hell moms. (laughs) Hell moms and demon moms who are somehow not the same thing. Yeah, let's just finish up our Windows tour with Junko and Hikaria. I think Hikaria is definitely the, in terms of canonical interactions, like the strongest mom of Toho. Like Definitely, yeah. definitely. Mm-hmm. Like, Bound Piece is just like textually her daughter. Makoto Hirasaka do not interact. Clown Piece has tremendous daughter energy. Every time I look at her, I want to feed her curly fries. <laughs> <laughs> Feed her curly fries and a hamburger. Yes. And uh, Hekatia is there to feed her as many curly fries as she wants. Hekatia is like exactly as permissive as she knows won't actually cause any problems for her clown daughter. I think it's a big thing that she's like really permissive without being uncaring. Yeah. yeah. A big part of the whole thing why she threw clown beast against Okio in the first place was because she wanted to get her out of hell, basically. Yeah, she wanted to give her a better life, so she sent her away to space camp. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Then she sent her to, like... To regular camp. (laughs) (laughs) In just the absolute middle of the boonies. Yeah. I mean, what's the worst thing that can happen when you send a fairy to against Okio? I mean, what's the worst thing that can happen when you send a fairy anywhere? Like, it's not like... If you send them to the outside world, they... I don't know what happens to fairies in the outside world, actually, but we obviously don't have fairies out here, so something does. Yeah. That we know of. I really like sort of Hikaria's outlook. She obviously really cares for Clown Piece. It seems like almost like weird that she's focused specifically on just this one singular fairy, but it's cute, so it doesn't matter. We don't have to worry about it. 
we don't actually see her interacting with any other fairies. Like, if we'd seen her interacting with other hell fairies, but then only giving attention to Clown Piece, it would be weird. But for all we know, she could be mothering a bunch of other lap pads. Yeah, I mean, Hikari has six <laughs> hands. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. But, like, I do appreciate that she does care for Clown Piece so much, and her main motivation is getting Clown Piece out of hell, out of literal hell. I, I like that she's very permissive and gives Clown Piece a lot of freedom, but she's also not, like, neglectful. Yeah. She's very supportive and encouraging. She's a helicopter parent, but in the sense that she's watching from a very long distance, ready to fly in if something does go wrong. Yeah, and the little interactions in the fairies manga where she's like telling Clompies that she did such a great job by causing a ruckus. She's just... She's so good at understanding Clown Piece's needs, and I think that's really heartwarming because the needs of a fairy are definitely completely different from, like, the needs she would have had as a child, so she's... If she ever was a child. (laughs) I mean, yeah, her childhood was probably kind of special. (laughs) Weren't the Titans all children at some point? Probably, kind of, in some sense. Hecate is weird, though. Hecate. <laughs> Look, I'm an English speaker, damn it. I haven't stuck with this language of stupid orthography forever. <laughs> that is actually how her name is said in English. Yes, unfortunately it is. Really? Hey, Disgusting. Kate. It is meant to be Hecate, but it is said as Hecate because English is awful. Disgusting. Hey, Disgusting. <laughs> I'm calling her Kate from now on. <laughs> hey, Kate. Hey, yeah, I, I do appreciate that Hecatia and I have basically the same name. <laughs> hey, Katya. <laughs> basically the same name was when trying to get Americans to pronounce it too it's a little more obvious when you look at my full name but yeah <laughs> anyway what was Jade trying to say about Hecate <laughs> I just don't remember if she's because like as a goddess she's very weird in terms of the Greeks she doesn't really fit any of the given groups she's also very weird as a Toho character <laughs> <laughs> worry about it. She's just doing her thing. She might have been a child sometime, but who knows when that was, or if that was, or if it was in this universe at all. What if Hecatia in the Toho universe is, like, originally, like, a goddess in hell, and she only shows up in, like, Greek mythology because she basically did what she's doing now to Gensokyo. (laughs) (laughs) She's just showed up and started getting involved. She was just like, hello, I am your new fun goddess of sorcery. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, she just showed up and was like, my city now. So let's talk about Hikatia's wife, Junko. Yeah, I think Junko tends to be, well, obviously she is Clown Pieces' mom by extension, but she tends to mostly be Clown Pieces' mom by extension. Like, obviously we don't see them indirect at all, but... We don't actually see Junko and Clown Piece interact too much in the manga or anything like that. We get to see Junko for a single panel in the fairies comic. We do, I never thought we saw her. I want to see images and pictures. I think she's in the background of the panel where they're talking about the game's plot or something. Yeah, yeah, like she literally yeah. just appears for one panel and it's not really... In person. It's when they're talking about like how Raymu knows Clown Piece or something. Yeah. 
We see her interacting with Hikadia a little bit, at least implicitly through Grimoire of Usami, which sort of gives us a lot of her characterization. Do you mean Chunko? Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. obviously they talk in, they're in low case extra stage, but I don't think not in any of the manga, no. In Grimoire of Usami, Junko comes along as Hikadia's plus one, so it's implied pretty obviously that they, they are... are married. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. At least hang out and the rest is just reasonable. Yeah, yeah, the rest is sort of reasonable conjecture. A lot of my favorite Junheka fan works have sort of Junko in this role as like somebody who comes to visit and like babysits clown piece for Hikaria sometimes, and that's kind of how their relationship grows and develops. Yeah, they were first work friends, and then they sort of started taking care of a child together. Yes, Hikaria is the single mom. Junko is the stepmom. I mean, Junko has the rather unusual title of like friend sama, <laughs> which, which is an interesting thing to call your mom's girlfriend. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah. I like it. I really like that Hikaria introduced Junko as this is my friend and. Clone piece was like, oh, friend is her name? Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's cute to imagine Hikari introducing Junko to Clone piece and being a little nervous about it. (laughs) But, you know, they hit it off and everything goes great. And Junko is never sad again the end. (laughs) Aww. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, Junko does have a bit of a tragic backstory. Yeah, she's one of the technical moms. It's kind of central for her. For a lot of the technical moms, it's like a footnote or a obscure like history reference. But for her, it's like basically the center of her backstory. Yeah, mm. like she is sort of the mother in Toho who kind of had her family destroyed and torn apart. And her whole thing is being driven mad by grief about that and a desire for revenge and so on. Like, it's just so good that the dynamic that she has with Hikatia and Clown Piece kind of open her up to being able to, like, move on from that. And I think that's definitely intentional on Sun's part. Yeah, definitely. Mm. Leaving this, like, avenue open for people to, like, pick up the thread and make something out of it. Yeah. And we've talked about before how she was actually already kind of chill in Law K, but... She's even more chill now. But yeah, Usami really gave us a lot of, well, another small glimpse, but a really important glimpse. She's very fun in Grimoire of Usami, and, like, she very much does have huge mom energy in Grimoire of Usami, where she's just kind of, like, play-acting. Yeah, she feels like the mom playing, like, superheroes with her kids, and she's playing up the villain role. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, just imagining her and Hikatia just kind of playing around with clown pieces, it, it brings joy to my heart. Yeah. Yeah. Also, Chunko's one of the oldest characters in Toho, also. Yeah. She's one of the oldest characters with a confirmed age, anyway. Yeah. I think her, like, confirmed age is also on, like, a, like a scale of somewhere around here, but she's among the oldest. It's a scale of, like, hundreds rather than, like, Hikaria and Eren being ambiguous if the current sense of time is applicable. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> if Eren is Omoekane, then that makes her, like, two million years old or something, which is a scale that, like, nobody else in Toho even comes close to. Like, yeah. even if you've lived for ten millennia, you still have no comprehension of what it's like to live for a million years. If you get into the business of trying to combine creation myths, then wouldn't that put Hecaria relatively close to the same category? Yeah, probably. 
Probably. And then, of course, there's the extra dimensional characters who does time even apply to, like, Shinky or... I mean, probably. Like, how does time work for Yukari when it's established that Maribel can time travel and... How much time has this person experienced that? Who knows? Yeah. How much time has Sakya experienced? Also, on a side note, going back to Technical Moms for a second, we did forget to talk about the Watatsukis. They are both like married and have children or whatever. Yeah, in mythology, right? Yeah, but I don't know how much we actually have to say about them. I just wanted to bring them up because we forgot to talk about them. Yeah, I don't really have anything because they're pretty different <laughs> from their mythological counterparts already. And most of the relevance of their mythological counterparts is married X and had a kid. Yeah, they don't really have mom energy in Silence Center and Blue. They have, uh, I mean, Yorihime definitely. They have, like, college-age energy. Mm. What if they (laughs) are the children and their mom just named them after themselves? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, This is a level of galaxy brain. uh... (laughs) I think we need to step back from this one for a moment. Contemplate where we're going. We obviously don't have anything to say about the Watatsuki. (laughs) (laughs) They sure exist, I guess. They need to get Um, mentioned or we're... Well, we don't get yelled at a lot or at all. We mostly get someone pointing out that we missed something. Well, what happens is that Clarst gets yelled at instead of us. (laughs) For some reason. Like, why do people always yell at Clarst on our behalf? Just like yell at our inbox. Don't leave Clarst alone. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I don't know if you think there's like some elaborate bit or something, but genuinely none of us are Clarst. Like yeah, Clarst is a completely <laughs> different person. Clarst is just a friend of the show. <laughs> yeah, like we are acquainted with Clarst, but they're literally just in a Discord server with us. Yeah. <laughs> you can join that same Discord server. You can watch as they are obviously a different person from us. Which is exactly what we would say if we were actually just five robots piloting by spotty like a meat puppet. But I can guarantee you that that is not the case. Although if you believe it already, we cannot persuade you. You'll, you'll just have to believe that Clarst is not actually my side blog. <laughs> if you really want to yell at somebody that is associated with the show but is not the show itself, yell at Lavander. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. Better me. Go yell at shirikiden.tumblr.com. Yes. Um, because he's definitely not gotten enough of that already. Although, on the topic of mom energy and shirikiden, we probably should mention Satori. She's much more of a pet mom than a person mom, but like, I feel like she's relevant. It gets weird when those pets are people. I mean, all pets are people and all that. She's but. a mom in the way Yukari is a mom to Chen, which is, like, not really. Yeah. I don't think yeah. she really sees them as her children. She just sees them as her pets who she loves very dearly. Yeah. She's a cow lady, not a mom. And a bird lady. Like, the cross-review things reveal that she's, like, really affectionate towards them and really loves them and all that, but it, it gets weird when they're just, like, humanoid pets. It's also pretty clear from her grades of Orin and Oku that, like, she does clearly see them as just, like, you know... Aminal. Yeah, like, just, like, funny little creatures that she loves a lot. Like, they're not they're not her daughters. Funny kitty drag away a corpse. It's just another one of those ones that we need to bring up or someone will yell at Clarst. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Clarst. Also, hi, Clarst. <laughs> Shinky? 
Yeah, let's talk about Shinky. Oh yeah, we should probably talk about Keiki too if we're going to talk about Shinky. Okay, Keiki is not a mom. She is a lesbian aunt, and she is not even your lesbian aunt. She is somebody else's lesbian aunt. I know she doesn't have mom energy, but I think that contrasting her and Shinky is a great example of, okay, both of those people created artificial life, but somehow... One of them ended up as a mom, and one of them ended up as a vaguely confused lesbian aunt from another state. <laughs> well, and I think that that's the difference of their roles, too, because Keiki was sort of invoked as a protector, whereas from what we know, Shinki is just straight up, like, a theistic creator. Yeah, she just kind of created Makai. She felt like it. I mean, wouldn't you? She's mom to all of the demons and also Alice. I feel like Alice is adopted, but that doesn't make her any less of a mom to her. Yeah. I mean, Alice is not a demon, so presumably she was not created by Shinky. Well, you never know. Maybe Shinky's creating humans in a lab. I mean, I do think that Alice was one of those cases where Alice just kind of saw Shinky and sided with her and declared herself to be a, like a evil villain or whatever. And, you know, she's just a kid play acting. But and Shinky was just like, what's with this sassy lost child? Yeah, and Shinky just kind of played along with her. Shinky was like, what with this sassy lost child? I love her already. <laughs> The Shinky and Alice dynamic is almost exactly the same as the Mima and Marisa dynamic. Yeah, just accounting for the different personalities of the people involved. Yeah. Which is, I guess, the other one to talk about, the Mima-Marisa dynamic. That's very often cast as sort of a mom thing. It's like, it could be? Yeah. Yeah, you could certainly read it that way. You could definitely read it as not a mom thing, too. If it's a mom thing, it's one of those where the mom being very bad at being a mom is one of the key points of it. Yeah, definitely. And I do think of Mima as more of like a mentor that Marisa grew very attached to. Yeah, Mima has cool teacher energy more than mom energy. Yeah, she's just like, hey, kid, want to see me blow up this styrofoam? It's like one of those things where like the mentor pretends that they don't have any attachment to their student or whatever, but then the student gets in trouble. The mentor has this moment. You're just describing the end of story of Eastern Wonderland. Yeah. Mima has the energy of a mentor character from a mid-1900s youth novel. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. She's the Fagin of Gensokyo. Yeah. Whereas Shinky is much more straight mom to Alice. Yeah. Well, she's not straight, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's a lot of Toho characters who are moms or have mom energy, but I think there is a Toho character who is a mom who is notably extremely absent from Toho, and that is Marisa's mom, because we get to hear a lot about Marisa's father, a little bit about Marisa's relationship with her father, which is not good. Bad. Yeah, yeah. to say the least. Marisa's um, mother is extremely divorced. Yeah. <laughs> Marisa has a mom. His name is Renosuke. <laughs> <laughs> sure. We never, ever hear anything about Marisa's mother, and I am a little bit curious about that because we do hear about her father, and I'm yeah. wondering if it's just like 
her mother is just, you know, a faceless human villager, or if there's the possibility to sort of explore, like, you know, something else going on. Yeah. It wouldn't really be notable if she wasn't one of the few characters whose dad we actually know anything about. Yeah, it's kind of weird to not know anything about... I mean, it's understandable to not know anything about Reimu's parents. It's understandable to not know anything about Sanai's parents or Sumireko's because Sumireko's parents are in the outside world. But Marisa's parents are the only ones that it makes sense to know about because she kind of went and yoked herself off into the woods. And I think it's also just a convention in fiction. When a character's parents aren't mentioned, that's not usually something significant. When one parent is notably absent, that's usually a significant plot thing, right? I, I actually almost feel like the other way around, like when the parents are mostly relevant as establishing some part of the backstory, it's relatively common for one of them to just be like inexplicably absent without any deeper reason. I guess that's yeah. true. There's a lot of anime where it's like, you know, the, where the main character has a uh, bastard father syndrome, like Full Metal Alchemist and Star Driver. Yeah, Full Metal Alchemist is definitely something I was thinking of where like he's just gone and it's like, oh he's actually super plot important the thing is that obviously the main characters in those series like hate their fathers or they have major issues with their fathers but then their mothers are absent and usually they're dead so like you know maybe that's the case with marisa it wouldn't surprise me yeah marisa has traumas in several senses but marisa has two excellent adoptive not parents so it's fine yeah Yeah. She has some cool mentors. Miyama and Renosuke are both divorced, but they were never married to each other. They're divorced from completely separate people. Yes. <laughs> I mean, that's good to specify. Yes. <laughs> Don't even make me think about Miyama and Renosuke as an actual <laughs> relationship. I'll kill you. I think Renosuke would kill someone. <laughs> I mean, why do you think she's a vengeful spirit? <laughs> Well, I think on that note, do we have much more to say about moms or are we just going to be teetering over the precipice of a cursed edge? I wanted to give a shout out to the one Toho character who has extraordinary dad energy, which is Okina, but that's basically (laughs) all I have to say about her. I actually did want to bring up some of the characters who are sort of incidentally parents in one way or another. I think that Okina does have big dad energy. Big dad (laughs) 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 that's what that acronym stands for let's move on (laughs) yes there's okina i think in a sense there's sort of mamizo who is more of a grandma really yeah she has big grandma energy she's weird because she fluctuates between grandma and like troublemaking like college roommate she's definitely a grandma when she's around kosuzu or most of the Mioran crew and then you look at her and nue in that one chapter of forbidden scrollery and they have the energy of two fraternity members driving to white castle at 2 a.m <laughs> <laughs> well they're around the same age aren't they and then her dynamic with the other tanukis and really Either mom or grandma, she's just... Well, I guess there's in, a, in some sense it kind of feels like there are a bunch of kids that she's leading around, but they're not her kids. Yeah, they're just like, where did you get all of these kids following you around? Why are they <laughs> stealing people's money? Why are you letting them steal people's money? They're just her posse. Kokoro should also sort of be counted. Oh, yeah. 
Kokoro has a lot of moms. I feel like she deserves to get noted. Kokoro yeah. has like a rotating, just like I, I don't have the word. She just has like just so many moms. She has so many moms. Yeah, yeah. She has like half a baseball team of moms. <laughs> yeah, and. She has Okina, she has Miko, she has Mamizo, she has Byakuren, and they're all just fighting to be Kokoro's mom. Okina is the one that we haven't seen actually interact with her. Okay, she's not fighting. She's the scumbag dad. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> Okina has big absent father energies. <laughs> Even though Miko is the one who, like, made Kokoro, well, in a very literal sense, on some level, it feels like Okina is probably important to Kokoro turning from a bunch of masks into herself. Yeah, since she's a goddess of no place. Well, she probably became a goddess of no place kind of due to that incident. Mm -hmm. That's what I meant, since she's a goddess of no place. That's like strictly fan work so far, and not even a lot of those, unfortunately. Yeah, I think that just about does it for like just talking about moms. I think we sort of covered, well, most if not all. So I do want to cap this episode off with the mailbag question that inspired this episode, which was a question from Anonymous. Which Toho character would you want to have as your mom? I'd choose Sega just for the drama, (laughs) which is a brave move. That's a move and a half. I can respect it. I feel like after this episode, it's going to be relatively unanimous. I don't want any Toho characters as moms. (laughs) Yeah, well, if I had to pick. If I had to pick, I'd like... I'd choose Suwako. Suwako's a good mom. She's just a... She's a little bit evil, but that's okay. Yeah. 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 I'd pick Akadia. I mean, yeah, I think that's clearly the best choice. She is the coolest and the best mom. She's definitely the coolest mom, but would I want to live in hell? Because she couldn't just, like, leave me to run around in Ginsokyo without supervision. Well, she can leave you to run around where you are. (laughs) In an abandoned space station. (laughs) (laughs) She just comes and visits the Torikune every once in a while to bring me McDonald's. I mean, Hikaria probably has the best access up here. (laughs) Does this place count as another world? I think blonde Hikaria is going to knock on the window. (laughs) But it's at the Lagrangian point between the Earth and the Moon. It can't be either blonde or blue-haired Hikaria. This must imply the existence of a green Hikaria. (laughs) The thing is that with L1 between the Earth and the Moon, it's going to be closer to the Moon, so I think it would be blonde Hikaria. The Moon is the less massive body, so the Lagrange point is going to be closer to the Moon. But at the same time, is it entirely related to distance or? I feel like the Lagrange points, as they're defined much more by the moon than the earth, I think that that's like a a moon thing, right? Okay, so we'd have one Hikadia here. Yeah, the compromise position would be Gundam Hikadia, but I'm not sure I want to see that. Does anyone else have input on a Toho character that they want as their mom? So far we've got Suwako and Hikaria and the Anon went with Sega. <laughs> Bravest Anon in the world. <laughs> like, from a metagame perspective, I think Hikaria is the correct <laughs> answer. <laughs> I think it would actually be fun to... Like, my answer to this question would actually be Byakuren. Hmm. <laughs> Judge me all you like. 
that's probably like the Toho character who I would like to be at my mom's second least. Yeah, I've had enough <laughs> arguments about religion with my IRL mom. Shout out to my mom who listens to this podcast. Hi, JT's mom. She doesn't oh, no, actually wait. listen to this podcast, does she? Oh, yes, she does. I changed wait. my answer to JT's mom. <laughs> <laughs> We've said bad words on this podcast. <laughs> Oh, I have said far, far, far worse words in my family home than I have on this oh podcast. Goodness. I'm b- far and away the most profane member of my family, but all members of my family understand this. <laughs> I'm going to close this out on one of my favorite mom stories, just to put my mom on blast for everyone who listens to this podcast. Hi, mom. Oh, boy. <laughs> so my first day of work at like a proper like corporate job, like my mom, JT, like I know who you are. You have to not swear at work. And she makes this big, important deal out of this second day on the job i'm talking to my boss about like programming things and i we're just throwing out ideas and i throw out one spitball my boss looks at me and he's just like fuck that's a good idea <laughs> so naturally i bring this story I mean, up to it's my always mom a good idea every to time for somebody who's higher in the chain of command than you to swear before yes. you start doing it that is definitely the smart play but it's still really funny we actually in my job just had one of our bosses had to come by and be like okay you guys are swearing way too much we're actually <laughs> getting complaints about it so you need to tone it down <laughs> too rude for a nintendo game (laughs) yeah i think that just about does it did we have any other moms that we wanted to shout out as the mom we chose or is everybody for hikadia (laughs) yeah i think i'm I'm for hikadia i mean she's obviously the best mom but yeah and she has six hands i think it would be fun to live in the muran temple and do shitty plays She's the meta pick, but I don't know if I've settled on a fun pick. So, like, I'll get back to that in the next mailbag episode or something, if I remember, which I won't. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, well, that's the show for the week. Thanks for listening. See you guys next time. Bye. See you. Bye. Bye.